Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. A scripture reading is from uh, Ruth, chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 13. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick pick the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained there from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you noticed me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. May the Lord bless this word. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it. Now, some of you know that uh, I was a football player a couple years in college uh, before a career-ending injury and some personal issues got in the way. Um, Now, from a football player's perspective, if I were to come into the church this morning and I overheard that there was a series uh, on Ruth, right? Being a sports person, I might think, oh, yeah, you know, uh, a series on Babe Ruth. Uh, an admired athlete. Uh, but baseball players are smarter than that, right? You know better. 
Uh, so you're, you're here today, and we're so grateful. And again, we pray that the Word of God enriches you, that you're filled with it, uh, and that you not only throw fastballs from the mound, but uh, that, that your life um, just truly be um, a firm witness uh, as you live for Christ. So just want to let you know that. Hey, listen, it is the uh, 75th anniversary of the Allied invasion of France. And we know that is what? D-Day. Okay. Uh, D-Day. And as Stephen Ambrose uh, has written, he said it was the, just this, this cataclysmic clash between the sons of fascism and the sons of liberty. Right? And at stake uh, was the future of the free world. Uh, pretty dramatic. But it was a dramatic event. And uh, I remember uh, at the Presbyterian Church where I served, we had three or four retired generals that attended the church. And one of them, a man named Jim, was a junior officer uh, in the United States Army on June 6, 1944. And he actually went ashore uh, at Utah Beach under the command of Teddy Roosevelt Jr., okay, the son of the former president, Theodore Roosevelt. And if you're familiar with the story, when uh, they landed at Utah Beach, uh, they got off the landing craft and they soon recognized that they were in the wrong spot. And uh, there were several officers that gathered around uh, Roosevelt, said, what do we do? Do we call the landing craft back? Do we get back in the craft and have them take us to the right spot? And his words are memorialized uh, in the Cornelius Ryan book, later to, be called, later to be made into a movie called The Longest Day. He says, well, let's start the war from here. Okay, uh, and and inland um, they went. Uh, it's interesting. Um, Jim, who was a junior officer, uh, talks about that event. Talks about having been a part of that, and 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 just the the leadership challenge, the leadership response, the ability to adapt to adapt literally under fire uh, when all of the plans that you entered into the fray with. From the very beginning, right? You're in the wrong spot. Now what are you going to do? And you know, life can be like that too, can't it? We can have the, the best intentions and the best plans. And yet when we show up, sometimes we recognize we're not quite where we thought we'd be, where we'd want to be, where we'd hoped we'd be, where we prayed that we'd be. Now what are we going to do? Now what are we going to do? Uh, and it's during the times, especially when there's adversity in our life, when there are challenges, uh, when we are taking it on the proverbial chin, uh, when uh, we're on our heels, that we become disoriented and we say, how did we get here? How did I get here? And where do I go from here? 
I, I remember a, a season of life like that in my life. Um, in, in September of 1978, uh, in, a, in, a, in a football game, uh, just suffered just a, a career, what would be a career-ending injury. In October, a month later, my mother died. In November, the landlord of the house we rented came out from Michigan, and one day when I came home from school, all my furniture was on the front lawn. I'd been evicted. I had two cats and a dog. That was my family. And I had to find a place for the dogs to live, and ultimately the stress of everything, the cat died. Uh, And there I was. And so I tried to press on as best I was able, um, continued in college, uh, had a, a full-time job, trying to, trying to make a go of it. But nothing I did seemed to work. Um, I did the very best I could within the resources I had and what I thought was the right thing to do. But one of the things that happened to me is whatever I started, I couldn't finish. And that was reflected in in college. In fact, it was during that season, you've heard me speak of it, that I was academically disqualified three times. Right? And uh, I just remember it was at that time my life seemed to be in a spiral downward. Last week we talked about Naomi and Ruth. And when Naomi made the decision to return to Bethlehem, uh, the house of bread or the house of food, Uh, Because the famine was over, she had lost her husband, she had lost her two sons, one of her daughters-in-laws, Orpah, had decided to stay behind in Moab after she had pleaded. But she was left with one daughter-in-law, Ruth, and as they returned back to Bethlehem, uh, there was a stir around the the town, and they said, is that Naomi, and who is that with her? Uh, because it was quite odd that this was a foreigner, this was Ruth that she was bringing along with her. Uh, And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant, Mara means bitter. For I left here full, she's referring to, I left here with a husband and two sons, but I've returned empty, basically with nothing. Uh, And that's how I felt at that stage of my life. Uh, It was just a tough, tough time. And uh, I remember I continued to work in the the student bookstore, even though academically I couldn't go to class. And I ran into a professor of mine. And uh, she got to talking with me, and I was just sharing with her kind of the challenges and where I was and what was going on. and, And she was aware of the academic side of it. And uh, I'll never forget, she said to me, she said, Todd, she goes, you're, you're looking at the, the mountain, and you're standing in front of it, and from your perspective, there is no way you're going to make it to the top and over it. You just, it, it seems overwhelming. She says, well, let me give you a bit of advice. Rather than looking at the mountain that you have to climb... Why don't you look at that mountain and see it as a series of little summits or or plateaus? You climb a little bit and you reach a place. You kind of collect yourself. You you reevaluate and then you make a little bit more progress. And before you know it, you'll have reached the top 
and it won't seem so daunting. And I remember that kind of just tweaked my perspective because I was like just overwhelmed with the challenges in life I was facing. I felt like I had entered that season full, but now I'm empty uh, with very little resource and very little sense of hope. Um, and so I reoriented. And as I reoriented, for me, the first thing I did was I acknowledged that I had been doing the very best I could in my own strength. But during that period of time, part of the reason I'd lost my way was because uh, I'd gotten really angry and mad at God. And I kind of pushed him out of my life, blaming him for a lot of the, the bad things that had happened to me. And it reminds me again, as we look back, just in a few verses before chapter 2, by way of review, uh, where Naomi, uh, in verse 20, says, Don't call me Naomi. I've made reference to that. She told them, Call me Mara. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. That's exactly how I felt. I thought I'd done all the right things, right? Um, I was doing my best to walk with him as best I understood at that time. And yet nothing in life was going the way I'd hoped, expected, or wanted, I have to tell you, I was lost. I was lost. And I was very much alone. Okay? Philip Yancey says these words. You'll put that quote up, Lucas. Where is God when it hurts? Where is God when it hurts? That was a question I was asking. God, where are you? Where are you? Even when I had pushed him out of my life, I'm still asking him, where are you? Right? Or I thought I'd pushed him out of my life. So I was so mad. Yancey says, he is in us, not in the things that hurt. Helping to transform good or bad into good. Pain, Yancey writes, however meaningless it may seem at the time, can be transformed. Now, somebody here needs to hear that this morning. Somebody needs to hear that. Maybe more than just one or two of you. Pain can be transformed. Okay? Um, I'm able to stand and, 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 and teach and, and exhort you from God's word because that reality was true in my life. Um, God wasn't in the things that were hurting me, but he was in me. And in the pain, in the hurt, he was helping to transform bad into good. 
Pain, however meaningless it may seem at the time, can be transformed. We can safely say that God can bring good out of evil. We cannot say that God brings about evil in hopes of producing good. Right? You see, that's where I was tweaked in my understanding of God. I was blaming God for the bad things that had happened in my life. Right? Rather than looking at God in the midst of them and finding hope and help in Him. Okay? It's a real, it's a, it's a difference in how you approach difficulty in life. But we see that difference in the person of Ruth. Now, Naomi, a woman of faith, um, Ruth's faith, Ruth's conversion to the God of Israel is a result of Naomi's testimony of having lived with her and having lived under her house with, with, with her son and, and being a part of uh, her faith. And so we see in chapter 1 where Naomi makes a decision to, or Ruth makes a decision to stay with Naomi, she does so based on her newfound faith and her understanding of the covenant that God had made with Israel. God had made a covenant promise. And as a part of her new faith and her understanding of that covenant and how Naomi and how the Jewish people would have understood their relationship with God through the ups and the downs, through the trials and tribulations, God remains faithful. He still remains faithful. And, and that was the faith that's reflected in Naomi's life as she really doesn't choose to leave Moab to go uh, to Bethlehem, she's really making a choice between two gods. Who is she going to put her faith in? Which god is she going to run to in a time of need? Uh, her decision was really about turning away from the gods of Moabite, of Moab, the Moabite gods, and turning to the god of the Jewish people. That was really her decision. What God was she going to turn to for hope, for help, for promise, for assurance, for strength? What God was she going to turn to in the midst of this most difficult time? She chose the one true God. She made the right choice. And you know what? I, I remember during the time of my life that I, I shared with you earlier when man, it was just, it was a tough time. I remember I had um, before me a lot of choices. And, and really they're representative of different kinds of gods that we can run to for help, for security, for pain relief. When we're down and almost out. Right? And any of those things could be False hope, false security, false pain relief. All right? But I am so grateful um, that I found shelter in the true God. <laughs> and in that, found transformation, even in the hard, tough stuff. Because it had been very easy to go in different directions. Very easy. Uh, and I just thank God for his grace in my life, right? Um, we talked about that. 
that God's hope holds on to you when you can't hold on yourself. And certainly that's a part of my testimony. Well, Ruth, in chapter 2, starts out and she asks Naomi a question. Let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Okay? And so Ruth, in, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the relocation, um, she is going to initiate something. And what she's going to initiate is in keeping with the laws and the custom of the Jewish people. Look at Leviticus 23:22. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of the field or the gatherings or the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. So there were instructions for those who had fields of harvest, those who owned those fields, to leave the corners. And, and as, they, as they reaped, to leave uh, the gleanings of the harvest, to leave them from the poor for the, for the foreigner. Look at Deuteronomy 24.19. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner the fatherless, and the widow, and so the Lord God may bless you in all the works of your hand. And of course, we know uh, from the book of James, James says, what is true and undefiled religion or practice of our faith? Right? But to care for the widow and orphan in their distress. And so in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, uh, we, we see this, that, that God impresses upon his people the importance of caring for them, of caring for the, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan, the downcast, those on the margins. In the midst of all of this, as Ruth goes into the field and she begins to glean, the word gleaning is associated with the poor coming behind those who are harvesting as they take their sickle and they, as they harvest the grain, they wrap it up, they put it together. But what's left in the fields, the poor would come behind and they'd sort through and they'd gather as much as they could for themselves. That was what was called gleaning. And in this passage, in Ruth chapter 2, we see Ruth gleaning, okay, the grain. She's, she's gleaning the harvest so that there'd be enough for her to go back and take to her mother-in-law, Naomi. But what she's really going to do here is she's going to glean an answer. She's going to glean an answer, and it's going to come in the form of a question. And really, the answer to this question is going to set up the remainder of the, the book of Ruth But it also is going to, if you now are a Jewish person and you're reading this, okay, after the fact, maybe uh, you are under siege from foreign enemies. Or maybe you are in exile in a foreign land, okay? And you're familiar with the reading of this. And you hear this story It is going to bring you back to the place where you need to be, uh, a place of hope amidst the struggle, a place 
that, that really says it doesn't matter where you are. Your God is there with you. Trust Him. Take refuge in Him. He is faithful and His promises are true. Now, I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. I need to hear it frequently and most often when times are tough or there are trials and difficulties in life. And so, Ruth is going to glean an answer, but this answer It's really the center of this book, and it's the center of our faith and our hope. In Ruth 2.10, it says, At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, speaking of Boaz. Now, Boaz is in the clan of Elimelech. Um, Some would say he could even be as close as a brother, but a significant male relative, which is all important in this story, okay? And his name is, um, his name Boaz means, in him is strength. In him is strength, okay? So she has this experience where she encounters Boaz Boaz says, who is that woman? Who does she belong to? Referring to what clan or, or, you know, what family does she belong to? Right? Well, oh, she's the Moabite. She came back with Naomi. Oh, he says, I've heard of her. Her reputation precedes her. Right? She finds favor with the one named Boaz, whose, main, whose name means in him is strength. All right? And she bows down with her face to the ground and she asks him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Now that's a loaded question. And it's going to have implications that reach far beyond into the ministry of Christ itself and the grace of God that's available for both Jew and Gentile. Okay? That's, it's there. Now, Here's Boaz's reply, and I have it under character matters. Character matters. Boaz replies, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Now, not only did Naomi lose her husband, but Ruth had lost her husband. Ruth had no children. How you left your father and your mother, right? She had a choice. This is key. She had to make a choice of which God she was going to follow. The God of her mother and father or the God of Naomi? How you left your father and mother and your homeland and you came to live with a people you did not know before. And so we see three things here in Ruth that deal with her character. And what I want to say here is sometimes we, we come ashore in the beachhead of life and we say, where are we? This doesn't look familiar. This isn't what I planned for. I'm in the wrong place. But then we have to take the Theodore Roosevelt approach. Teddy Roosevelt Jr., right? We're going to start the war from here. Let's go inland. And that's exactly what Ruth does. 
we see Ruth's initiative. She was the one who went to her mother-in-law and said, let me go and glean the fields. Familiar with the Jewish law and custom that I read to you from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. She is the one who, who stepped out and threw herself in humility, Ruth's humility, upon the landowner. Because anyone who would glean in the field was literally throwing themselves upon the mercy of the landowner and believing that somehow they would be a righteous person who would abide by what God had instructed them to do. Not everybody did that. Okay? Not everybody did that. And so she had initiative, she had humility, but look at her industry. It said she worked basically from morning till night. She, never, she, she barely took a break. She worked as hard as she could, doing the best she could at what she thought she had to do to survive in that moment. Okay? It was all character-based. Character matters. And it was her character that caught the attention of those around her, and particularly of Boaz, the one whose name means in him is strength. Okay? Character matters. Um, but what I'm going to say here is that sometimes we just need to start and take a step. And it, it's in the next step. It's in the relationships that occur. It's within the circumstances that transpire that God works his plan and he works sovereignly through the people, through the circumstances that we encounter. Do you see that? Rather than just kind of remaining frozen in place, what are we going to do? She takes a step. She shows initiative. She has to humble herself to do that. And in her initiative and humility, she demonstrates great industry. But what we're going to see is God is going to work his plan in the midst of all that. God shows up. God is present. God is present in the mundane, daily things that we think have no value. Or how could he, how could he, how could he work out his plan in the midst of something that just seems so menial? menial? But he does. Character matters. But in the story of Ruth, it is God's grace that prevails. It's his grace that prevails. You see, all that happens in the answer to her question to Boaz isn't so much, well, it's because you've done this and you deserve this that I'm showing favor to you. Because of all the good works you've done for your mother-in-law, because of your initiative, because of your humility, because of your uh, industry, no, that's not the reason. That's not the reason. Ruth 2.12. Boaz says, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. Right? May he richly reward you, or may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take Refuge. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. What did she do? What did she do before she ever went into the fields to glean? What did she do that gave her the hope to go into the fields and glean? What is it that gave her the, the, 
the initiative and the humility and what is it that gave her the industry that she demonstrated that caught people's attention? Well, it all starts back when she made a choice between two gods. What have you done? I'll tell you what she did. She chose the God of the Jewish people. She chose the one true God. That's what she did. And everything else flows from that. You see that? Now check this out. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. Okay? Yes, for the things she's done for her mother-in-law, but more importantly, for what she did in choosing God and leaving her people, her mother, her father, to seek and to pursue faith in him over the false gods of the Moabite people. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Now here it is. Are you ready? Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, it's because she took refuge under the wings, if you will, of the God of Israel. And that imagery... It's like, a, like an eagle or a bird that would take its large wing and cover and shelter a chick in a storm, in a wind, or in bad covet weather. The, the mother shelters the chick, the young bird, under the shelter of her wings. And that's the imagery here that we see. It's also, that whole term is used of a robe. Okay? The idea that, that, that the garment of God under the garment of God, people find shelter and protection in a time of need. And so, the answer to the question, why did I find favor? Well, it wasn't in the work that she did. It was in the God that drew her to himself and a God in his love and providence and sovereignty showed mercy and grace in her life. It's not about her works righteousness. It's about the providence of a sovereign God who shows mercy and grace. That's why she found favor. Do you see that? And ostensibly, we see Boaz as the one showing favor, but God is showing favor through him to her. In him is strength. In who is strength? In God is strength. Okay? But we discover that as we move forward in our lives, a step at a time. Not looking at the mountain, but just taking it to, to the next little plateau. And the next little plateau. And in the course of that, God works out his plan. Even when it doesn't seem like he's there, even when it seems impossible, even when the odds seem insurmountable, that's what he does. Finally, Two passages, Psalm 57, 1. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until danger passes by me. Until the storm is past. May I find protection underneath your wings. Psalm 91, 1. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with His feathers. He will shelter you with His wings. His promises are your armor and your protection. Wow. Wow. 
It's by grace we're saved through faith. Not through our own effort. It's a gift of God. In closing, R.C. Sproul says it this way. If I hope in anything or anyone less than the one who has power over suffering and ultimately death, I'm doomed to final disappointment. For my suffering will drive me to hopelessness. What character I have will disintegrate. That certainly could have happened to Ruth, but it didn't. Or to Naomi, but it didn't. It is the hope of Christ that makes it possible for us to persevere in times of tribulation and distress. We have an anchor for our soul that rests in the one who has gone before us and conquered. Right? That's good news, folks. That's good news for the Jewish audience that's, that's hearing this. In times of trouble, exile, difficulty, suffering, hardship. And it's good news for us because it points us to the one true God in whom we take shelter under his wing. As it was true of Ruth, may it be true of you and me.